Hey guys, welcome to the Funky Marketing Show, to another episode where I host people who do uh, or think about marketing a little bit differently uh, with a bit of funk. So today my guest will be Nelson Gilead and we're going to talk about uh, how to build modern B2B marketing and sales model based on some interesting thoughts he has. He's also an, an author. Uh, he's been writing about this topic for a lot and we didn't talk about it on the podcast, so I'm excited to get into that. But before, uh, let's play the intro, just dance it off and then we'll start. Here we go, Nelson. Welcome that was to the an show. Awesome intro. Yeah, well, it's, like, it's a good like, one. This is a proper show. This is great. You know, <laughs> I feel like crap now when I kick off my podcast. And I'm just like, oh, this is so and so. <laughs> now nah, we were just lucky to find to find the right one. That, that's it. I love it. I love it. I'm gonna have to copy that. Like everything else in B2B marketing, just gets copied. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, one thing I always try to do is when I see a lot of people doing the same things, just when they zig, I zag. Like when everybody started to have distribute this like uh, shorts from the episode with a headline and transcript, I basically said, let's uh, do something differently. And we had like an old school TV frame and we were inside the frame, <laughs> you know, yeah. just, just to have it like uh, being a bit different. Uh, but that. I think that was a saying by Zig Ziglar, um, which is a, just a cool name. I don't know if that's his natural name, right? When everyone zigs, you zag. And that was used often in the sales world as a saying. But I yeah, think yeah, yeah. It's, it's very applicable for markers, right? You got to stand out and have that little funky edge. And that's why I'm wearing this little beret here, right? So you just, but, we, you know, and, and it makes it more fun, right? It makes it, um, it's more enjoyable than just the boring. And I think you say, what is, oh no perfection is born is that what you have in the background there perfection yeah 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 so, so funny funny thing is my it. my wife bought me that so i don't know what to think of but oh, <laughs> you yeah. know <laughs> yeah well i suppose you get to know someone long enough you realize they're not perfect at all and they're just as imperfect as you and you have to put up with it so <laughs> yeah i mean here is you know uh it cuts the the p leather just uh you know where it's the line and it makes you like want to move it you know so you can see the whole letter, the whole letter i like that bd markers take note maybe just leave out some of your company name so people are like trying to figure it out because that's what i was trying to figure out i saw i got it that it was boring but i was like what's the first word i don't see the letter so you know it kind of yeah. for forces the mind to focus a little bit so I like exactly that. exactly i mean that's that's the guy who is like the most famous designer here in serbia uh, and I think he's one of the top 50 designers in the world, like pronounced literally in the academy or whatever they have over there. Uh, and now he started to produce like these small things like clothes and all those stuff based on the things he put out in, in the, you know, last 20 years. 
That's super cool. That's awesome. <laughs> it's kind of kind of interesting. So uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Let's get to know you before we get into the real stuff. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I'm basically the creator of marketing leg growth via the buyer centric revenue model. So it's based off a book. There's a community now to help people achieve marketing leg growth. And my background is in sales development, sales and marketing. So I've kind of been around the block. And I think that had helped me to understand kind of what the problems are in B2B marketing and sales and realize that fundamentally the model is broken and everything is downstream from the model, the strategy, the tactics, the tools, the people, the results, and that the model has to change. And so I kind of went on a little bit of a detective process for about two years to sort of realize, hey, you know, where are these problems coming from? What's the solution? How to get from the problem to the solution uh, in sort of a transition, trans transitory or testing phase uh, trend. Yeah. Anyway, I'm still working on my positioning and messaging for it, as you can tell. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. So tell me how many conversations did you actually have to be able to write a book and come up with with all this? Oh, man. Well, beyond the ones in my head, a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it was a lot of conversations um, with marketing and sales leaders and with co-workers so the the model of the buyer centric revenue model came about through my experiences and it came about from all these discussions to see like hey you're what problems are you having you know how are you trying to work on them what's getting in your way um and that allowed me to slowly piece together like right when you try to build a product um and my book has gone through like an alpha test and you know, I had beta testers or whatever and get feedback and then it's gone through iterations. Um, mm -hmm. and, and people who have kind of been following me for a while have seen that. They've seen the cover change. They've seen the design change. They've seen the title change. They've The model itself, the contents have changed. So, one, you know, and we'll cover this, but, um, you know, marketers just like the product team, right? You need to be speaking to your buyers in one-to-one -one interviews and having conversations with them. And that's what I do on my podcast now. So I interview marketing and sales leaders and I ask them questions that ascertain their marketing sales preferences. And, and I'm compiling that in a spreadsheet, all their percentage, their preferences, whatever, seeing where everyone falls on the spectrum to basically show like, hey, you, you know, here's where generally people lie. You probably should change your marketing sales model to, to move towards that extent. And so similarly, you know, you, you should be getting that feedback from people. So yeah, it was a lot, a lot of conversations and I'm still having them every day, still learning. And so every time that I communicate with someone in an email on Slack or on social media, I'm having a post or I'm commenting on someone's post. Um, it's just constant feedback and insights and on this pod, on this live stream. And so, yeah, it's great. Yeah, so so let's... and you're in the book too. Nemanja is in the book. I have quoted really. Him. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah. It, it was a LinkedIn post um, that you wrote about uh, giving an example of what you learned about putting the "How did you hear about us?" Um, qualitative attribution, buyer report attribution mm -hmm. on your website conversion form, 
and people were giving you feedback on how they became aware of you and what made them interested. And it was your content. It was your, uh, you know, your podcast, it was referrals on LinkedIn, word of mouth. It was, um, your LinkedIn content, your events, all, all that type of stuff to give you feedback of, Hey, you know, what's, what's resonating with folks and what should, I, what should I be doing more and less of? So I thought that was a great example. Yeah. That's good to hear. Like, uh, coming up in the books that I have no idea about. So <laughs> when you just, when you just start, you know, you make it in life when people are just quoting you in books that you have no idea, you know, and then it's like, okay, I guess I'm doing something right. <laughs> yeah. But there's a bit uh, of qualitative data for you. The, the thing that you are doing, it reminds me of what, of what we are doing and it's actually using the existing content to kind of create the new one. Uh, and you know, I do that just in another way. Basically I use LinkedIn posts to kind of get the feedback from people, get their opinion, different points of view, and then, uh, collect it all in an article and basically, and those article like in the last two weeks, finally started to get us some, uh, some SQLs. So, uh, it works perfectly. I don't need to go somewhere else. I can just test my ideas on LinkedIn, see if it fits. Okay. We need to create an article out of it, tag a few person to give us the point of view and that's it. Basically all you need. And, you know, I, I was, uh, reading uh, a post this morning, I think on LinkedIn, somebody saying that you don't actually, do you actually need a strategy, a huge strategy written like People when say strategy, usually they write like a 60 pages book. Nobody ever reads about <laughs> basically you have, you need to have like two or three hypotheses, test them out. If they are good, create a strategy around them. Don't just write something that you will never use. That's exactly right. And so, you know, this book is a long book. Well, relative to a LinkedIn post, um, but it's built from all these different conversations and LinkedIn posts and that, that are in there. And it grew and it grew and it grew, but also I need to chop that up this book and talk about the podcast and talk about it on LinkedIn and have different clips. And, and so it's just, you know, different formats, different channels, you're chopping it up, but you were using basically the same ideas. And, uh, yeah, so it's, um, it's something that it like for you, you get all these insights from, from your buyers and you're able to package that up into a long form. I think you're one of the few LinkedIn content creators in the marketing space that has really good long form content. So you've got long articles. And I think sometimes after you have so many insights, you can't squeeze that into a tweet. And so, um, but people do read that like they're on LinkedIn and they are reading your posts. I've read your posts and they are, some of them are, are decently long. Um, you have different sizes, but because it's worth it because you've uh, are selective and you've have all these insights that you put into it and you're telling a story and everything it's worth reading. So it's not necessarily, it all has to be super small on LinkedIn. It can be a long article, but that long article came from all these small little data points. And so it's going to resonate with his audience because it came out from his audience. Yeah, to totally agree. So, um, let's start by giving kind of an overview. So I've been thinking like the, the first thing that we say we're going to talk about was like marketing led growth versus sales led growth. And I've been thinking about like B2B tech companies, B2B SaaS companies, and it seems 
like most of them are sales led or even all product led you know and that's all that matters in the companies right uh and like i've been thinking from the marketing side like most of those companies don't have a sales problem they have like demand problem they have marketing problem it's different kind of problems but they they're all put in sales because they are sales led you know and those kind of things so uh maybe we can go and talk a little bit about what does it mean to be a marketing led company or the sales led company and just kind of uh digest that a little bit yeah so i think you're you're right that the two growth models that people will talk about is product-led growth or sales-led growth and you're either or and i think that's a mistake because product-led growth what that means is a free trial you're giving your buyers the ability to try the product to some extent and rather than sales trying to tell them hey it does this it's amazing it'll do your taxes for you blah 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 you just know okay yeah here you go it's like you're at a food market and someone's trying to sell you food and they either can tell you about it or whatever and describe it to you or you just have a free sample and so uh or at the car lot you take the car for a spin now um i think it's a mistake to call it product-led and it's because it's marketing that drives free trial user acquisition and converts that and you, it's giving credit to product which obviously builds the product but as a growth strategy it's actually marketing and so I think it's an aspect or, or a free trial is an aspect of marketing led growth it's one of many um, marketing led growth tactics and so I think it would be more appropriate to call product led marketing led and recognize it as an aspect of marketing led growth it's like marketing does a lot more than free trials um and so i think if people were to change that language i think it would be very clear to people that there's two alternatives when you have a b2b marketing sales model which is your growth model is it marketing or is it sales now historically since like the 1980s it's been sales led and so this is where when you say sales led it's that companies prioritize marketing or sales um, in order to profit and grow, right? And so the way the way things are now, because we're stuck in a sales-led growth model from the 1980s, we could talk about why that is and what's changed. But the way that things are now is the information that a buyer needs to buy, to try the product, and learn about the product is artificially gated behind sales. And marketing's role is to basically generate a constant high volume of contact information of uninterested buyers or MQLs or marketing qualified leads. This is also known as the process of lead generation. And then prioritize that contact information of uninterested buyers. Oh, and by the way, they get that contact information largely through gated content, but you can also um, just buy that contact information in bulk on the cheap from data pr providers. Um, but then what marketers will do is they'll take that contact information of uninterested buyers and then they'll prioritize it based on the buyer's engagement with marketing. So if they're coming to your website, if they're downloading content, if they're coming to your events, um, and that is lead scoring or lead intent. 
to basically try to prioritize and say, okay, who's more interested um, than someone else? And the reason why they do that is that they can then take that contact information and before buyers or before marketing can finish giving buyers the information to learn, try and buy and or the request to speak to sales, before marketing can finish its job, that contact information has to be given to sales development, whose job is to spam buyers with telemarketing and email spam and LinkedIn spam and bribery via gift cards in order to try to push buyers prematurely and artificially to sales. To say, oh, if you need to get this information to learn, try, buy, I'm going to pester you um, and try to push you to sales before you're ready. Because if, to the extent that you do need sales, you can just go to the website and request to speak to sales. Um, and oftentimes, so these buyers, if that under this process, when they do get to sales because of sales development spam, because they're premature, they're not as well informed and they're not as serious about buying. So they often take the demo with sales just to get information that they should have just gone for marketing, whether that's pricing or FAQs or integrations or use cases or, you know, um, examples from customers or the ability to try the product that they should just get on the website because the website is a 24-7 market and seller and the best a company has. And oftentimes marketing is hamstrung um, and prevented from giving that information because they're just trying to give um, they're just trying to force buyers artificially and prematurely to sales. And so these buyers, these are these are tire kickers, the people that are just browsing, right? They're just looking for information that they should have gone for marketing. And then there's further issues at this point where once they do get to sales, they go on this a sales assembly line, as I call it, where you have the account executive who helps you with the initial sale, who then might also bring in a sales engineer who has actual product ex expertise and does the demo. And then if you buy, they're going to hand you off to another seller, which is the, or <clears throat> account, you know, excuse me, <clears throat> the customer success manager who's responsible for post-sale fulfillment. And then you might even have an account manager after this customer success manager, which is like the account executive, but for expansion and retention, whose job is just to get you to buy the cross sell or the upsell or the renewal. So you might have like four different sellers um, or four different folks to help you. And so you go through all these handoffs and you got to repeat yourself and someone makes promises, another person's supposed to fulfill them and it's crazy. And then the sellers turn over and you're like, who's my point of contact? And there's no relationship. Um, and so, and especially in B2B with a land and expand motion, most companies in a subscription model have a land and expand. So there's the initial small acquisition and then there's a bunch of upsells, cross-sells, you know, um, that's a problem. And then you also have a problem in the sales world of quota and commission, which kind of go hand in hand. And then what that means for the buyer is that the buyer endures pressure selling because the whole point of quota and commission and why sales is the only department to have quota and commission and no other department wants quota and commission um, is to pressure the seller to pressure the buyer. And that can come across in aggressive demos, aggressive follow-ups that can come across in omitting and obscuring relevant facts under over promising and under delivering, bringing on bad fits. Anyways, it creates a really bad um, experience for buyers 
and they're, you know, they are wary and mischievous of sales. And that's, that's where we are now. That's the state of affairs um, that B2B is in. That's the sales-led growth model from the 1980s that still lingers. And that is why marketing is feeling like they're handcuffed, that they're in this straitjacket. And they're trying to liberate themselves for marketing-led growth because things have changed. And now it should be marketing-led growth. And we can talk about why that is. Um, but we can see all these problems in B2B. And it's because of sales that growth, which is, again, artificially and prematurely pushing buyers to sales, sales development to, or marketing to try to generate contact information of uninterested buyers, sales development to try to spam buyers. Um, and then you've got sales pressure selling premature buyers. And so that's going to be very costly for a company uh, to grow. And it's going to your profit. It's going to affect marketing sales performance, and um, it's going to affect marketing sales tenure, turnover, job satisfaction because you're trying to do marketing sales the way it was done in the 1980s in 2022. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I mean, it's not gonna, and that's not something that is gonna happen. It's already happening, right? And, and I have like things uh, that I want to take out of it besides that conclusion that you gave. Uh, first is, uh, you know, when I think of about like product led, what the company should do or that business model should the product itself should take me from free trial to being a satisfied customer, right? We should have pre-built things that is taking me as I use the product more and more, what is our other options, other features that are there, you know, basically helps me get to, uh, to the point where I get everything out of the product and I get to the next level. Uh, and interestingly, uh, the companies made it so much more difficult that you mentioned, if I'm not wrong, like four of five point uh of of touching the customer right uh from the moment uh before you buy to the moment when you buy uh to retention and so on and so on and how do we call them we call them sellers right uh somebody to help you uh you know uh cross sell you upsell you upfront somebody who will uh help you with you know sdr bdrs then accounts etc before it happens and the one thing you said is uh you have four sellers to help you so like what's wrong in that sentence like sellers are trying are here to help you do what actually like they're called sellers so they are here to sell you not to help you and I think it brings us to the core of the problem. And it is like, do we actually have companies that are trying to help the customer achieve its goal? Or do we have companies that are just trying to squeeze everything they, they can from the customers? And I think because it's obviously the second thing, we are here where we are and we are talking about changing the business model and restructuring the way the companies work. Yeah, totally. And so 
the the way that I'm the way that I have seen things is if you talk to buyers and you interview them and you look at survey after survey from Gartner, Forrester, Miller Hyman, Harvard Business Review, you know, you interview your buyers, you reflect on your own buying experience, you want way more marketing than you do sales. And oftentimes you want 100% marketing. You want 100% self-serve or mostly self-serve and only want sales to a small bit if and when or to the extent that you need sales. And you largely want sales for post-sale fulfillment after you buy, particularly with complex products that require org-wide rollouts. And so the, the thing is, and what's changed since the 1980s is marketing is providing most, if not all of the information that a buyer needs to learn, try and buy and become aware of products and, or, you know, the ability to connect with sales to the extent they need sales is how, and that's what, and so marketing is able to provide that where they couldn't provide that back in the day. Marketing did not have that ability back in the day that, you know, no internet, no social media, no communities, um, no mobile phones, it, you know, not, not the websites we have today, none of the online digital marketing, whatever. So that's where, that's where things sort of evolved from. And, but today, yeah, buyers want to largely self-serve and we're not adopting to that. We're, we're putting up so much friction to that. And we're basically, them, basically yeah. it, it gets us to the moment where the buying experience is the most important thing, right? And if you look at the way things are now, basically you have one person to try to do, to inform them, to educate them. You have another person that will establish the first contact. Then when you get the trust and everything that people are ready to buy, you have another person to actually sell them. And then it goes on and, and there is so much friction in that just before they buy and it continues after they buy. And uh, what is actually happening is that people are buying in a different way than what it was before. As you mentioned, like it's not we go to Google, we search for the things and we buy. We compare the prices, we look at the testimonials and that's it. Yeah. In fact, what's happening is like we ask in the community, we ask on social media, or we pick up the phone and call somebody to, you know, to give us the information if they may have experience. And if we have somebody on top of mind, do they know that person or that company? And to be able to do that, basically what we need is marketing to create the demand or to them the existing demand, right? Yeah, and I've interviewed something like 50 people and they're all, and I asked them like, how do you become aware of vendors for the first time? How many do you think are saying, because sales development is spamming me? Um, they are saying, I'm becoming aware through referrals, peers, word of mouth, influencers, because of content, social media, communities. And so what that is, word of mouth and referrals, and peer influence is a byproduct of marketing's efforts. And it's and it's where basically marketing has done all this good stuff and buyers have had a good experience with your product that other buyers are talking amongst each other where you're like kind of outsourcing your marketing. And so peer influence is a byproduct of marketing. Um, 
And so 99% are, are basically saying that. Um, the, every now and then you, you might become aware of a vendor from a spam that you weren't, you know, a spam email or something that you never heard, heard of. But that's how they're becoming aware of vendors. That's how they want to become aware of vendors. And so it's marketing job to be like, okay, how can we create more word of mouth and referrals? That's the, and a reputation, that's the golden road. And so you're thinking about proper marketing, non-spam marketing, content, social events, communities, um, you know, good ads, uh, all, all sorts of stuff. Um, in the book, I list like 30 different tactics that you can do. You know, you can have a podcast, you can do live streams. Um, and so you have a free trial and that gets users to talk and share with other users, referral campaigns, remarketing campaigns to previous buyers that change jobs, you know, previous customers that change jobs and you fall from one company to another, um, you know, all sorts of campaigns. And out of that, you will build word of mouth referrals and reputation. And so if the, if you then ask buyers, like, how do you like to then learn about try and buy vendors once you're already aware of them they're gonna say from my peers again going to communities asking people about it what you know what their experience is what their use cases blah, blah blah how much it costs like you know and they'll go to the website both again thanks to marketing and they will buyers will want an option for sales to the extent desired that they want but it's an option Ideally, they want to self-serve 100 or mostly to buy the product, to try the product, to get a demo, everything on the website, product tours, pricing, FAQs, integrations, use cases, try the product and even buy the product on the website. But to the extent that they need and want sales, sales is there as an option for those buyers. And you know, you hit request a demo or you can have a live chat on for one-off quick questions like on Amazon. Amazon has a live chat, just quick questions. Hey, I don't want to go through this whole song and dance of booking a meeting. Imagine if on Amazon, you had to like book a meeting just to get some help. And, you know, you just have a quick question that is preventing you from doing what you need to do to try a product or buy a product. So, um, yeah, buyer preferences for how they want to buy and be marketed and, and sold to have changed, but the B2B marketing sales model has not, which is why... I call it the buyer-centric revenue model. Um, and fundamentally why it's marketing-led growth is because marketing has, buyers want more marketing and way less sales. And ideally, 100% marketing to the extent possible desired with an option, a small a small option for sales. And so when I interview people and you look at these surveys from Gartner and Forrester, to the extent that buyers want sales relative to marketing, it's typically like, like maybe 20% of the time when they do need and want sales, it's like I'm 80% along my buying journey. And then maybe for the last mile, I've got a few quick questions and maybe I wasn't able to suss out for marketing or it's a complex part of complex pricing. It's, it's high pricing. I just want to make sure before I buy just to confirm with someone. And so they got a couple quick questions and that's where sales can come in. Exactly. And, and, and yeah, uh, the, the one thing that stands out is that those models are built to make it easy for the company, right? Not to make it easy for the buyer. Because well, if you I think can't... that, but it makes it, it makes it harder for the buyer because it's not in the company's interest to make it harder for the buyer. Exactly. And the reason why, the reason why companies, um, so why are things still sales led from the 1980s? 
because it's very clearly that it, it costs companies a lot of money and time and effort and resources and hurts them competitively to the extent that there's a competitor that is more marketing led. And so relative to sales led. And so um, it's not in their interest. It, it, it hurts a company's growth. Growth is harder. It's longer. It's less. It requires more funding. And it, it's not a win for them. The reason why they are in sales-led growth is because every company needs a growth playbook. They need a model because the model dictates the strategy, the tactics, the metrics, the compensation, the tools, the processes, the org structure. And what happened is sales-led growth was preserved and fueled and codified um, by Aaron Ross, who wrote Predictable Revenue in 2011. And it was based on his time as a sales leader at Salesforce in the early 2000s. And all these things that we just talked about, he was saying, hey, you know, as part of Salesforce's growth, we did some of this stuff. We did this sales-led growth stuff. And you should do it too. And it is very debatable, even then, to what extent did sales-led growth, did sales development and spamming buyers, and then the sales assembly line of having all these handoffs among all these partial sellers that can only help the buyer with one aspect, harmed or helped Salesforce relative to all the other aspects of Salesforce's marketing and sales, their amazing product, the, the, the financing, the competition, the market demand, whatever that were going on. But people needed a model. They needed a playbook. And they said, okay, this is supposedly the growth playbook for Salesforce. This was, this was, you know, this, this is the juice. And so they drank the Kool-Aid um, and didn't modernize at that time when it was becoming very clear in, in, in like 2011 time that things were changing the internet, social media, whatever things were starting to change. HubSpot had hit the scene and they were like, mm, maybe there's a different way than just spamming your buyers with telemarketing. Um, and so, yeah, um, that's why it lingers today. No one has come across and offered a different model and a way to get from model A to model B. And so if you look at people like yourself, uh, Nemanja, you look at Chris Walker, you look at other marketing thought leaders, um, there's some progress that's being made um, where, where we're trying to challenge different things. And, um, but to make real fundamental widespread change, you have to go to the head of the snake. You have to identify, I think, the core problem that's causing the symptoms. And then rather than tackling the symptoms, you solve the problem at its root um, and you uproot sales-led growth and you implement marketing-led growth is, is what I think um, the solution is and why I went through all this trouble to do it. Um, so that's why, that's why it still lingers today. And I'm hoping that this new model will give people a different path and help people who are on the old model to transition and then help people who are young companies who are looking for a better playbook, right? And don't want to in inherit all these old problems and have all these problems calcified as the company grows and make it hard to change, right? So they're just clean slate, say, okay, let's grow properly. What's the best way to go to market? What's the best way to structure our marketing sales? So uh, the question that comes up is how do we make that transition in the company? That's always the thing. Like there are people who have been doing this for 20 years 
they are uh, you know people who don't know how to do things differently but then there are also companies where uh, you know we see young marketers trying to you know to catch up with things trying to some to change some things from within some of them more successful some of them less successful and i think it gets us into the stage where we are now we companies are trying to you know slowly but surely understand that the buyer's journey has changed uh they i think they will understand it more and more now as we are getting into you know uh if things go as they predict into the crisis again when you know uh we will need to create more demand or some that stay on the same journey will actually you know end up basically throwing money to something that's not working so how do we uh, actually start with the change i don't mean like advocacy i mean on the on the company level yeah sure so i've outlined in the book there's a, a framework for implementation where you basically it is four components analyze business case experiment gradual transition and so if you're a marketing leader or you're a founder well yeah if you're a marketing leader and you're coming into a company that's that mixed you've got good elements and bad elements of marketing sales you're some sales like growth right you're some marketing like growth that's most companies right they typically got a mix sometimes they're more sometimes they're less of of the two so you got to follow that framework you got to understand how things are doing today um and and propose different ideas and say yeah we know we'll keep doing some of the stuff today but let's try this and see how it works and if it shakes out we'll do more of it less of the old stuff and then gradually you transition resources you transition budget and investment that's like broadly speaking the framework very high level no specifics but just you know that's how you make change internally at a company and you have to convince ownership like marketing leaders need to convince ownership whether that's the ceo and or the board and the investors they are the ones who to to approve that stuff fortunately for marketers by the way you have the biggest seat at the table you have a much bigger seat at the table than sales because you're driving most of the growth and profits buyers want way more marketing way less sales and so um i outline a couple of different experiments um and an analyses for each of the aspects of sales led growth versus marketing led growth um and how to run those experiments how to do the business case um and so take for example marketing versus sales development and so i see sales development which is 100% spam that's their function and purpose and how they're different from marketing um and just to be clear um well let me just say i see sales development as the biggest symptom and problem of sales led growth that mm -hmm. is harming companies growth and profits and therefore i think it is the it is the biggest issue to solve and also it's the first issue to solve that will help solve all the others and because sales development is a marketing activity spam is a marketing activity to generate demand 50% of sales development teams report into marketing it's not a sales activity even though sales did it historically but that was because things were different in the 1980s 
marketing didn't have it, the ability it has now. Sales had to go spam in order to get buyers. Um, that's changed. And so um, it's mark. I would say it's marketing's job to, to basically conduct this analysis and uh, propose a business case where you run an experiment in which you basically gradually repurpose sales development into marketing. And the first thing that you do is you automate website demo request qualification scheduling on the website. And so that helps to automate the SDR or uh, the inbound SDR. And the second thing that you do is you gradually reduce the SDRs spam activities there their outbound spam activities by 25% increments. You give them in both experiments, quota and commission relief accordingly, and then you repurpose them to marketing. You run that for a few sales cycles um, and you repeat the experiment. And basically you'll have gradually transitioned sales development to marketing. They'll be thrilled. Sales development is miserable and underperforming, high turnover, low tenure, low performance, even according to sales development standards of what performance is, which is you know, by marketing standards, not real marketing performance. Um, and so, um, yeah, and that is a great place to start for, for marketers. Um, because if you just think of it as spam, imagine what spam does to proper marketing. So marketing is doing all this proper marketing to inform, educate, and charm buyers. And at the same time, you're trying to spam them. So for example, imagine people listening to this or tuning in. Imagine if I tried to spam you after this, how many of you would come back? Or if Nemanja tried to spam me up to this, how many of you would come back? Um, zero. And so what would that do to his reputation and brand? Um, and so some, one of the things that I recommend people to do as they're undertaking the, these, the implementation framework, and I just use as an example, the marketing versus sales development um, aspect of sales-led growth versus marketing-led growth. Um, is to interview your buyers. Like marketing should be interviewing, um, I would say 15 to 30 buyers, just like I do on my podcast. And I share the questions for that to understand their marketing sales preferences. And you use that as part of your business case. So not only do you look at your, your quantitative data and your CRM and you know uh, all the numbers, um, but you're also getting feedback from your buyers and saying, hey, like I've interviewed our buyers. They're becoming aware of us by this. This is how they prefer to become aware of vendors. They don't want spam. Um, they want to. They want to mostly self serve, um, and et cetera, et cetera. And so you're getting all these, all this feedback to basically say, it's not working internally. We've got the qualitative and the quantitative data. We should experiment, and use use that to get to get uh, approval for these experiments. Yeah, I, I love yeah. that. I love that. Uh, basically, what I want to uh, just emphasize what you said, and it's, to be honest, is basically how we implement. And I think how every modern dimension company that is doing actually dimension in a company or is a part of the company should uh, work. We come into the company, we analyze, we see who's converting, converting who's not, uh, do they have, do they know who their ideal buyers are? What's their buyer's journey? Those kind of things. If they don't have this information, we do the interviews to find out those things. Uh, and at the same time, we need to keep up with what is the company already doing to create trust. Basically, no matter if it's wrong, but most companies don't accept the data that we bring in 
that says like i don't know out of 3000 uh leads we got 24 calls and we close like six customers they don't want to accept that data so we need to go and do it on their example so they understand all of those things and not only that but how much the lead costs right it's not less just cost per lead there's a lot more things into that it's not like 50 to i don't know to 500 dollars but it's 5000 to 10000 dollars if you count in all the people that uh, are included into generating that lead uh, which is at the end mql somebody doesn't even want to to be there uh, so marketing becomes the r d department of the company and basically they are here to take the data to test it out and to see what's coming and the thing that you mentioned that uh from my post basically you know you need to have to measure things differently to actually be able to prove things out there's a qualitative data uh, and there's a quantitative data there is data that you get from your software which is saying you you know the things that you cannot uh it's not showing you the things that you cannot see which are not measurable over there you see just the conversions and where they're coming from but you don't see like what's happening when you have direct traffic traffic from direct conversion you don't see what's happening you know from social those kind of things but then you have this simple self-attribution model when you have people saying actually you know i don't know i nelson i heard you on funky marketing show and this is how i came to buy your book or this is how i heard about uh your uh marketing lab business model and i'm interested to find out more about it or how can i implement it uh i heard that you have a community can i be part of it and what's it about how can it help me you know and when you merge those two chunks of data then you can go and uh, to the uh, decision makers and actually show them that there is a case that some things can be differently you can show them that there is a demand growing over there but you can also show them that the number of closed leads that are actually you know uh, closing on a higher volume and there are better leads it's uh it's uh happening and it's growing that part and this is also the thing that creates the alignment between marketing and sales right because sales will see that you are sending them the better leads customers who are already sqls and they will easily convert them you don't need like i don't know 50 people in sales you can just do two better experience and that can uh, close the leads and then they can go and do the other thing that you mentioned uh instead of using marketing to get the meaningful mqls they can go they can buy the really good data and try to do the outreach and to close more customers in a different way that's right if you do marketing right then you need way less sales and ideally zero sales and it's kind of like where marketing can't sales comes in and so um you know to your point part of the uh business case or, or part of the analysis also includes in addition to qualitative data from interviews is getting your attribution right and when you put how did you hear about us on the website what that does is it shines a light on marketing and it exposes sales development because what happens nowadays companies will have a mixture right of marketing sales development of marketing led growth and sales led growth sales development is able to hide behind marketing and write off of marketing's coattails uh, and take credit for uh, 
you know, opportunities and customers that actually marketing are responsible for, but sales development just came in at the end and spammed and annoyed these buyers, turning off a subset of buyers and pushing some buyers prematurely to sales, buyers that would anyways, um, would have hit up sales when they were ready and well-informed and not premature, which is what sales development is trying to produce. And so, yeah, and then you have a bloated sales org who has to triage all these premature buyers who are just kicking tires and are just browsing to get information they should have gone for marketing. So yeah, um, the, how did you hear about us is huge. Um, and you're going to show ownership. Yeah, actually it's marketing and it's word of mouth and it's referrals and it's, it's peers and it's not sales development. And so I think that the first hurdle or the first thing for marketers to do is to, yeah, sub sunset sales development, repurpose that talent to marketing. It's good talent in a bad role. And, um, you, you will, because sales development is handcuffing, preempting, crowding out and counteracting your marketing. It is actively hurting you. It's not sales development isn't or spam. Let's just call it spam. Spam is not icing on the marketing cake. It is poison in the marketing champagne glass. And so, um, your company will be spamming to some extent and doing proper marketing. Your goal is to shine a light on proper marketing and expose spam and do more and less and gradually sunset spam. And those who are doing the spam repurpose them to do proper marketing. That's, that's it. So buzzwords and, and title and department titles aside, it's you are liberating the folks who are spamming into doing proper marketing, which they anyways, they're trying to get out of sales development as soon as possible. And, that will do wonders for your marketing. The best thing for you can do for your marketing is to get rid of sales development and sunset them to automate website demo requests and have them stop spamming and turn them into marketing to help with events and podcasts and product marketing design and creative and whatever it is you're doing in your marketing, have the SDRs help them. Now, um, one thing I will, I will say, uh, on that, um, is look, um, if sales development does not report into marketing, which is 50% of the time and it's sales, then what do you do? Because it, it and I, and most of what I've seen are the examples of companies who are, are marketing like growth, um, and we're able to sunset sales development and liberate marketing from some, from sales development. It was because sales development reported into, uh, marketing most of the time. It was a lot easier if, if that for marketing to make changes. You, you, you consider, you consider re revenue also uh, within sales, right? Uh, if I understand well, because like revenue now becomes a, a function that is in a lot of companies and the number is growing, like owning the umbrella. Yeah, it, I think that's a mistake because, um, you know, sales it's just that last mile, but the key growth and profit driver and revenue driver is marketing. And so, um, I would say that sales can and should report to marketing the CRO, which is basically the, who, the person who oversees marketing sales should be marketing. And however, it is almost exclusively sales. Mm -hmm. So sales should not be, you know, calling the shots over, over marketing. Um, it's, it's sales that should report to marketing and whatever CRO should come from a marketing background or that the head of sales can just report to the VP mark, whatever you call it, whatever titles you choose to call it. Um, but the point I want to make is, um, whether or not sales development reports into marketing should not deter you from 
proceeding with the analysis and then the business case. And you can go to sales after you do the analysis and, and say, hey, here's the analysis. I'd like to go to ownership and propose a business case um, for these experiments. Are you on board? They say no. You say, will you disagree and commit? If they say no, you say, if I go to ownership without you and tell them that you disagree and commit, will you still disagree and commit if ownership approves the business case? And if they say uh, no, then you know that that's someone who's not a team player and they're very afraid. And one, and if you observe that sales always is very nervous about job security, rightly so, because I think most of sales talent, um, like account executives, whatnot, will transition more to customer success or transition to marketing that there'll just be less investment in budget in sales. Um, look how they're already nervous about free trials because free trials have replaced a lot of the selling that a seller used to do. Um, it just makes that just makes sellers obviously nervous. And so, um, but you can still go to ownership, ownership can approve and the sales leader can and should disagree and commit. And if not, then the probably that sales leader will have to leave. Um, so that should not deter a marketer from doing this whether sales comes willingly or unwillingly, um, you've got the big seat of the table, you've got the evidence and proof, your quantitative and qualitative data, and you've got your experiments, and you've got examples of companies um, who are who are marketing led. And I cover these in detail in the book. So whether you look at Sales Whale, that sunset sales development, repurposed them to marketing, saw amazing results. Um, and I cover that in depth. Same thing with uh, Cognism, Cognism, um, basically liberated marketing from sales development, still kept sales development, but liberated marketing from having to support sales development. And their marketing is driving most of their growth and profits and seeing amazing results. Um, and the marketing team is way more productive and fulfilled because they don't have to go support spam and um, get to do proper marketing. And then you look at metadata. Metadata is primarily marketing led. They do uh, very little uh, spam relative to their proper marketing, although they do some spam, but it's their proper marketing that's driving most of their growth and profits. Um, or if you look at a Chili Piper, same thing. Um, or if you look at uh, CXL, uh, which is um, that uh, uh, Peep, Peep Logic. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. How... Pep, yeah. Pep Lai and the crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pep. Yeah, yeah. So well-known marketing software and influencer, um, software company influencer. So yeah, they don't have sales development. They tried sales development at one point where they were spamming people. They realized that's a bad idea. And so they just do proper marketing. So you have all these examples from which to, to basically um, sunset sales development and liberate marketing. That will be the domino, the first domino that falls, and, and basically everything else will follow. Um, that will put downward natural downward pressure on sales to modernize, and it'll shine a light on marketing relative to sales. Um, and more budget and investment will go from sales into marketing. And also as an overall percentage of the company's revenue, ownership will say, wow, actually, yeah, marketing is generating most of the growth and profits. So we're going to give marketing better budget, maybe 15, 20% or more of the company's total revenue because they're driving most of the growth and profits. And we're going to stop wasting um, unnecessary investment in sales. There might be some investment in sales um, based on buyer preferences and what buyers, what's possible and desired by buyers. Um, but it's going to be way less than it was before. Um, and that's the way to kind of go about this transition. 
Yeah, I, I, I love that. And it got me thinking like, you know, when is the time that you need more people in sales? Is when the marketing has done its job, when the demand is growing and you need more people in sales to close that growing demand? Yeah, marketing you know, and, and sales chronologically and hierarchically. Yeah. Marketing's job is to generate customers, free trial activations, and to the extent that buyers want to speak to sales, website demo requests, which are real leads for sales. Um, that's marketing's job. Customers, buy now, free trial activations, free trial, and website demo requests to the extent that buyers want sales as an option. So, yeah, um, you should be prioritizing investment in marketing and putting the, uh, you know, the horse before the cart and not the other way around. Um, yeah, otherwise, that is not going to set up sales for success. And as a marketing analogy to sell, you know, use a marketing sales analogy is basketball. Marketing is, it is the Michael Jordan point card, right? They're doing all this fancy stuff. They're whatnot. They're, they can score on their own, whatever, but sometimes they need to pass it to the center and that center is sales. Um, and what sales wants is a website demo request, a layup. They want a, Hey, just give me the ball at the hoop so I can put it in and it, the ball won't get stolen. And I'm not taking half court blind shots that miss most of the time. Um, and so yet, yeah, but you need to prioritize that point guard. That point guard is the playmaker. It's the quarterback and marketing is, um, center stage. So uh, yeah, I love, love, love the analogy as somebody who has been playing basketball for like 12, 13 years. My father oh, was yeah? a coach. Yeah, yeah oh, I, wow. I, I love the, the analogy. We have, we have a statement and a question from James who said, okay. uh, absolutely agree, restarting uh, out bigger emphasis on marketing. However, if your organization was, was built on sales-led growth, uprooting, it is a way bigger obstacle to transformation than finding a middle ground. Yeah, so great, great point, James. What do, what do you do as a marketing leader if your company is sales-led growth and it's calcified? Um, well, look, you can do the analysis and the experiment. I'm oh, sorry, the, the analysis and the business case. If ownership rejects you and says, nah, and sales isn't on board also, whatever, but ownership rejects you, that's it. I would find another, find a company that's marketing led because that will be way better for your marketing career uh, and your happiness and your productivity. And yeah, so you can find a company that's marketing led or you can go to a startup before these issues are calcified and make sure you find a founder that's, um, receptive or open uh, for marketing led growth. Um, so you either find a company that's marketing led or you find a startup where you can create things from scratch. Um, don't resign yourself if yeah you're in a sales led growth company and they don't want to change to marketing led growth despite the analysis, despite the business case, despite the examples that are in the book. And look, um, marketing led growth via the buyer centric revenue model is a startup. I never worked at Salesforce. So I never, I don't have Salesforce back me to say, oh, look, it was, it was part of Salesforce. It's going to take time like a startup for this to, you have your early adopters, you have, um, early majority, whatever, and then crossing the chasm and late, late adopters who have to change when it's too late. Those sales led growth companies, um, who refuse to change will eventually change, um, when it's too late and it'll be much harder for them and they'll have way more damage and they'll lose out to comp com uh, competitors that are marketing led because companies that are marketing level attract buyers they'll attract talent and marketing talent in particular but also sales talent and they're going to attract financing so um it's their days are numbered but for you for your own career focus at your own company if you can't do it at your own company i'd get out of there yeah uh, uh 
this gets me to uh, yeah, James says he, thankfully I'm at Cognizum. Uh, ah, so, so he's yeah. happy where he is. Nice man. Well, I would say you you were able to liberate. I'm not sure if you're in sales or marketing. I'm assuming you're marketing, but yeah, you liberated marketing largely from sales development. And as I made this point to Alice, or it was like you know, um, basically I think that she should sunset sales development um, entirely. But sales development there reports into sales, uh, not into marketing. Um, and I think that's a hurdle for Alice and her team. And they also haven't yet fully recognized the fact that the harm and cost that sales development does to marketing. They just want to liberate marketing, but they don't realize that sales development still preempts, handcuffs, crowds out uh, marketing and counteracts marketing. Um, and so Cognizant is a sales development tech company. They sell contact information to sales development teams primarily and sometimes to marketers. So um, to some extent, they it's much harder for them to, to transition because they have to drink their own, or sorry, eat their own dog food. And it is dog food, um, but fortunately, the taste of Alice's and the marketing team's champagne washes out that sales development dog food. So it's good because you're primarily in a marketing-led company, I would say, but you still have elements of sales-led growth there. As long as those elements, right, people are good and bad, as long as companies have mixtures of marketing-led and sales-led growth, if you're happy with the mixture of marketing-led growth relative to sales-led growth, stay there, but try to continue it and prioritize marketing-led and sunset and gradually continue to reduce the sales-led growth aspects. Yeah, love that. Uh, and what I wanted to say is that, you know, eventually, if you cannot help the company or they don't want to accept the data and what you're showing them, like not every company should survive. And I like to emphasize that because that's just the truth. If you choose to, uh, you know, to be blind and not to accept the data, qualitative and quantitative, then basically, you know, there's no future for you and your company. Yeah, look, look at Blockbuster versus Netflix. Look at BlackBerry versus iPhone. The founder of BlackBerry was um, a visionary for his time, but he was unwilling to accept the reality of iPhones. He was like, why would people want a touchscreen? I don't understand it. No, and he, was, he refused to change. Steve Jobs actually was resistant to building an iPhone. He said, no, like, I'm against that. I hate phones and phone carriers, whatever. And then he changed his mind. And because of that, he was able to innovate. And so there will be people who will innovate and there will be people who want to stay stuck in the past. It's the same spiel as marketers that we give as software marketers. We say, out with the old way, in with the new way. If you want to stick to spreadsheets, you'll die. Buy our software. And so, um, yeah, we should apply that same mentality to our own um, uh, marketing and sales model and what is sometimes considered status quo or best practice. Yeah, uh, Nelson, this has been a great episode. Uh, I would recommend to everybody to go back to the beginning, listen to everything again, then, uh, you know, stop. If you don't understand something, go to, uh, to find Nelson on LinkedIn, ask him if you have questions, because uh, we, especially Nelson, got into those little, I call it gems. Usually people say that to me, now you were in that zone, uh, and said a lot. So uh, I think you need to go and listen to everything again. Uh, make sure you stop when you hear something interesting, take notes. And then when you try to implement it again, go back to Nelson and uh, see if, uh, you know, if you get stuck on some point, how he can help you unstuck. 
but Nelson, tell tell me and uh, and everybody listening where they can find more information about you, except like LinkedIn, as I all mentioned already. Yeah, sure. And well, thank you, Nemanja, for having me on, and everyone for tuning in. I will also say one thing, um, and this is partly for Nemanja. Um, a way for marketers to help achieve change at your company is to work with a outside third party consultant company who can also be the bad guy. And it's good cop, bad cop. Oh, I'm the good internal guy that wants to get along with people. Oh, but the bad cop, Nemanja, but he's the expert. He says we should do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, we'll give him the keys to the car because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have to worry about the internal politics and, and playing nice and trying to, you know, he can just do what needs to be done and make the recommendations, which then you can take to, ownership and so Nemanja and his and his folks can help with the analysis can help with the recommendations and all this type of stuff and execute on that type of stuff so um a big part of the marketing led growth community uh is to first of all bring people together that are like-minded that want to achieve marketing led growth in a place to discuss and share best practices and network with each other hire people whatever and say you know figure out you know who's doing what what's do's and don'ts tech and stuff and also connect people with marketing agencies that can enable marketing-led growth um, and marketing-led growth vendors, tech vendors, hand-picked, all hand-picked to make sure that you can implement this stuff. So I think that's why folks like Nemanja are really valuable because they are on the they're the, the tipping spear um, of marketing-led growth, helping companies do this. Um, so don't waste your money on a sales development agency to go spam people to generate demand. Hire a proper marketing company who can do proper marketing to generate real demand. So anyway, um, having said that, um, yeah, you know, follow me on LinkedIn, whatever, like go through my LinkedIn posts. Like you can go see all these sort of videos and small snippets of my content to get stuff. If that interests you more, maybe you go to my podcast and again, just like listen to a couple episodes of some of the interviews that I've had with marketing leaders. Anyway, you go to the podcast. Um, check out the community. It's free. You can poke your head in. It's in its infancy. This is again, a startup baby. Um, and then, yeah, the book is available on Amazon. It's an ebook paperback. And then the audiobook, self narrated, narrated by me very poorly is, uh, going to be out shortly, but yeah, the ebook and the paperback are out. Um, you can always message me on LinkedIn or message me in the community. Uh, if you have any questions or you need any help. Sounds, sounds great. Sounds like I also need to go and, uh, you know, uh, do my part of sharing things inside the community. Uh, and I love what you're doing and the way you're spreading things around, uh, and different point of view. And I think, you know, uh, I, I said this a lot. Uh, I think we're, you know, uh, looking at you, looking at what we are doing, looking at refined labs, looking at other companies. I don't think we are actually competing with each other because uh, like there's so many people to be educated that not one agency, not one person, not one company can, uh, can do it. We all need to go together because there's a shift happening and we all need to do our part in transforming, you know, uh, the companies that we get in touch with. Oh yeah, we are allies. And so we, we share a common vision for how marketing and sales ought to be done or how we want to make B2B more effective, more efficient, have better, more productive, fulfilling careers as marketers. Um, and you guys are helping to do that um, in one way. I'm helping to do that in another way. And even within, let's say, marketing agencies, um, there's a shared philosophy of how you guys do marketing. There's some bit of differences and you cater to some audiences and maybe not others. You do things slightly differently. 
but there's plenty of fish in the sea. Oftentimes, you guys are referring business to each other. Uh, you're you're co-marketing. You're co-collaborating. Everyone on the same page. The real enemy here, uh, I would say, for marketers, the enemy, quote unquote, and why I'm wearing the ridiculous beret and I use sometimes military analogies, is sales-led growth. And anyone who is a proponent and advocate and preserves and fuels um, sales-led growth, whether that's sales development, the sales assembly line, quota and commission, um, primarily uh, that is sales. And so in a sense, um, markers, we need to sort of fight against sales here. Um, there are some sales leaders, particularly modern younger ones that are that are better. And um, But fundamentally, marketing just needs to push forward with progress with or without sales because you got the bigger seat at the table and buyers want you. So um, you're the tiger in the room. You're no longer the, the, the uh, little ant that marketing was back in the 1980s that was a handmaid into sales. Um, now sales is the handmaid to marketing, the tables have turned. So, um, yeah, don't be afraid. Um, you know, you don't have many opportunities to maybe join a movement within an industry, a transition point, um, and undergo, you know, a transformation. And you hear you have an ability to really liberate yourself from more productive and fulfilling careers at your own company and, and really make an impact to your own company and accelerate your career. Because if you can implement marketing like growth at your company, like, Alice DeCourcy, the CMO at Cognizant did, or Timothy Kwa, the VP of marketing at Saleswell did, um, or um, Jason Whitup at Metadata, and, um, oh my God, I'm forget uh, Trinity Nguyen at UserGems, who I used to work uh, for, um, then, yeah, it's going to be amazing for your career. And people are going to want you. People, it'll be very attractive for you, um, for companies to be like, ah, oh, this person knows how to run this model in this playbook. Um, and yeah, so I hope you guys have enjoyed this one. And I guess with that, marketing led growth via the buyer centric revenue model. Thank you, Nemanja. Thank you, man. I'll leave all the links in the, in the comments, in the description, so people can go, uh, join and check it out. And for you guys, one last thing that we always say at the end is, uh, keep it funky. That's all you have to do to have a fresh, uh, you know, overview of the things. Bye bye.